Who is Astro Boy? Where did he come from? Hey, cassettes, and welcome back to another episode of the Black Case Diaries. Oh. Hi. Oh. Hey. What's up? We're still here. <laughs> <laughs> Loving it. <laughs> <laughs> When you say it like that, yeah. it sounds it. like a lie. I mean it, for real. <laughs> We're three old friends learning everything we can about movies and TV and hopefully teaching you in the process. I'm Robin. I'm Marcy. And I'm Adam. We can't believe we're saying this already, but anime is ending. <gasps> oh. <laughs> but before we go, we thought we would bring you one last episode of the month before we launch into June. Oh, man, cutting it close. Yeah, we are. We're cutting it close. Usually, I don't know if you guys have noticed this season, what we've been doing is three regular episodes and a bonus episode. Mm -hmm. But May had five Mondays in it. Ray. So, what? so what we did this month. Shoot, we, we changed the Mondays too early. We did. Yes. <laughs> we're doing three regular episodes, and then we did a briefcase, mm -hmm. and now we're doing a, a full episode again. Yes. Uh -huh. Because we're so cool. Our original idea for this episode was to talk about one of the first animes to gain success in, with American audiences, Speed Racer. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah, that was the plan. There it goes, was. Speed Racer. <laughs> <laughs> but as we had difficulty finding information on the show, we decided to make our topic a little broader. So instead of focusing on just one TV show or movie this week, we are covering the history of anime's rise to popularity in the United States. All right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Japanese animation has been around for a very long time. But the art form didn't find an audience in America until as late as the 1960s. Since the first wave of anime captured audiences' attention across the nation, its popularity has steadily increased. So, let's learn about anime's influence and history in the USA. You know, it's going to be surprising, I bet, for a few listeners. It yeah. was for us while doing yeah. the research. Just how influential some of these shows are and like those people that you mentioned who may not really know or like anime yeah uh, maybe you've seen some of these you, still you might have yeah. watched it before so we are going to do a short not that short brief history of japanese animation in general because we've talked a lot about western animation and yeah. american animation and this is just a little history of where this comes from we've been talking about japanese anime all month but we haven't mentioned how it originated. We know that the first animated film started back in the early 1900s with movies like The Humorous Phases of Funny Faces and Phantasmagory. But as we've discussed previously, the concept of animation predates film. In Japan, as well as around the world, there were several precursors to animated films. For example, Imakimono were scrolls used by storytellers as far back as the 11th century. Similar to flipbooks, the scrolls simulated movement of illustrations as storytellers unraveled them from right to left. Uh -huh. Aha. Yeah. That's an authentic waterbending scroll. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that's really cool because it's almost like a motion comic. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Okay. Because it has the like quote unquote panels. It's like mm -hmm. reading it from one side to the other, but it's of emotion. Yeah. Instead of just like dialogue or something. So that's that's actually really cool. Yeah. In the 17th century, the magic lantern, invented by Dutch astronomer Christian Huygens, was dazzling audiences all over the world, including Japan. This device used a candle and slides to project hand-painted images onto the wall. 
It was a prominent precursor to animation and film in general, as the lantern also included rotating glass discs and levers to simulate movement. Users could crank the box, and suddenly there were moving pictures, hundreds of years before the camera had been invented. That's, wow. That's really cool. Just imagine the, like, surprise, the first person to try that. (laughs) Yeah, because at first it was just the picture. Yeah. Yeah. And you told stories with the picture Mm -hmm. projected on Mm -hmm. the wall, like this is the world's first projector. And then they were like, let's make this a little more interesting. So then you (laughs) you would have a picture of a boat, and then suddenly the boat was moving on water. Yeah. Just back and forth. Yeah. Just, it's just going back and forth, but still. Yeah. Like seeing, that's animation. Yep. When we talk about the beginning of animation, we generally mention how the art form evolved in the U.S. But Japanese animation began about the same time. The film Phantasmagory from 1908 is widely considered to be the world's first fully animated film. But in 2005, historians discovered four seconds of animation, about 50 frames, that they believe date back to 1907. Uh-huh. What? Yeah. It's called Katsudo Shashin. Because the film depicts a boy writing those words before tipping his hat. They essentially mean moving uh-huh. picture. The words mean like... Nice. Oh, wow. Yeah, moving ah. picture. So a little boy writes those words, <laughs> tips his hat, and that's it. Wow, cool. Dang. According to the Japanese animation historians that found the fragment, it is the oldest animation in the world. Wow. Oh, that is awesome. Yeah. Still, think about like the quick, just writing something and tipping your hat, 50 <laughs> frames. <laughs> yep. That's still yeah. a lot of and that's still And that's choppy. Yeah. Because yeah. it's four seconds. Right. Yep. Yeah. So <laughs> oh, God. that's choppy like, by today's standards. It's like he oh, was yeah. tipping his hat like, yeah, I did it first. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Him. It's a fragment too. They don't know. They feel like it must have been part of a longer thing. Yeah, oh, and it's like what? So what it, else? <laughs> how? When was this really invented? Yeah. You know, it, it kind of makes you feel like they just didn't have a way of preserving that stuff. Oh, yeah, that's fascinating. That's what if it was like a few minutes? Yeah, you know. Yeah. Oh, geez. Besides the discovery in 2005, the oldest Japanese animation was created by Shimakawa Oten and released in 1917. From that point on, more and more animated shorts were distributed in Japan. Kaoshi Junishi was another pioneer that experimented with shadow effects, synchronized sound, and paper cutting. Think about that. Synchronized sound. They were starting to try to do it back in 1917 already. Wow. Way ahead of the game. Yeah. Kitayama Sitaro started working on his animation in 1915, which consisted of paintings on paper. He's credited with being the first artist to manage a staff of animators, which allowed him to produce animation much faster. Unfortunately, almost all of his work, and much of the work of the other early Japanese animators, was lost in the Great Kanto Earthquake of 1923. Oh, man. What? Animation in Japan caught on and became a popular form of art and entertainment. It's even credited with lifting the spirit of the country as it attempted to rebuild after the Great Earthquake. Japanese animated films would continue to be produced over the course of the next 40 years. But it wouldn't be until the 1960s, with the popularity of television, that they would find large audiences in the U.S. All right. That's... 
yeah. where we begin. Yeah. Starting with the black and white a little bit, though. And yes. Then... <laughs> yep, but that's okay. Yeah. Animation fits so well in black and white. Exactly. You yeah, do the big does. outlines and stuff. Perfect. Yeah. We, we're going to mention a good chunk of shows here, but there are still many more. Oh, yeah. That we're oh, not going to talk yeah. about because- We just picked a couple per decade. Yes. We talk about the most influential ones, like the top ones of the decade, mm-hmm. but I know there were others that were still popular yeah. even in the United States. Oh, yeah. And so we, so we begin with it. Astro Boy. There you go, Astro Boy. <laughs> Ba-ba-da. Oh, man. You could have just yes. marched to that. Right? Yes. <laughs> While some Americans may think that anime is completely separate from American culture, the truth is that Japanese animation has been influencing American film and TV for several decades. One of the biggest examples of this was the TV series Astro Boy in the 1960s. You've seen Astro Boy. Everyone knows what yeah. he looks like. Everyone knows what he looks like. <laughs> In 1951, cartoonist Asamu Tezuka created the first versions of the character Tetsuan Atamu, or Mighty Adam. <laughs> but of course, yeah. spelled differently, though. We all know him better as Astro Boy. Yeah. Astro Boy's style was influenced by Disney animation, specifically Mickey Mouse. Yeah. You know what? I believe that. Yeah. Holy cow. He, this animator in particular, was a huge fan of Western animation. So you can see how, like, <laughs> yeah. they both influenced each other. Mm-hmm. He reportedly saw Bambi 40 times. Wow. He wow. said he saw Bambi 40 Man. times. So. I mean, yeah. I really like Bambi. So. Yeah. He, so the character of Astro Boy, he's very, very cute. He's got very. these big Disney eyes. Yes. And the thing about him that makes him like Mickey Mouse is that no matter which direction his head is turning, his hair is in the same position. Yeah. Just like Mickey's ears are always in the same. Right. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) even if you're looking at the profile of Mickey, you still see both ears. Both ears. Yeah. 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 Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Tezuka created his own production company and made a 10-minute pilot of Mighty Adam to pitch to film studios. The pitch worked, and Mighty Adam premiered as Japan's first animated weekly series on New Year's Day, 1963. Astro Boy was incredibly influential. Many consider it to be the first anime series, and some of the techniques that the animators used would influence the artists at American studios like Hanna-Barbera. Yeah. Nice. So when you think of shows like Johnny Quest, for example, mm-hmm. yeah. or even the Flintstones, you know, stuff like that, Hanna-Barbera did the same thing that they would do. Instead of paying for animation, sometimes mm-hmm. they would take a static frame and they'd move it across the camera yep. to make right, it look like that right. thing is moving. They would reuse footage a lot, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, just just different stuff like that. Stat- they they did they did a lot of different things to save money. Yeah, what, one that I always notice, and I'm like, that's a Hanna Barbera cartoon when yeah. I see it, is when a character is standing completely still with yeah. their hands kind of back like this. Oh yes, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but their their whole head is like. I'm talking right now. Yes. I'm saying things. <laughs> yeah. But their yeah. body is not moving. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, that's a Hanna Barbera cartoon. They did yes, that to save is. some time. <laughs> Tezuka pitched the series to NBC executives, specifically Fred Ladd, who some credit as the person that brought anime to the United States. 
NBC bought rights to the air of the show under certain conditions. For one, the show could not be altered, and the original studio would receive credit. But NBC did change the name of the character to Astro Boy, and they added a catchy theme song. Yeah, this one's an outlier. Most, as you're going to learn with us here, (laughs) most anime, when it made it to the U.S., got heavily edited. Yep. Things got taken out. Astro Boy was one of the few where they didn't really alter the show. Nope. Wow, that's actually really interesting because it seems like such a common thing moving forward to change things. But it's weird that the one thing they did change was like super important. The name. The name (laughs) of it. Yeah. Right? Like Mighty Adam isn't that bad. Nope. No. Is that too close to Mighty Mouse or something like that? Oh, I wonder why maybe. they did it. I think they changed it to Astro Boy. Just a theory. Because mm-hmm. of the space race. Because uh, they were currently, uh, it was the 60s. Everybody yes. was into space. You know what? Calling him an Astro Boy, I think, was probably. That makes about a million sense. Yeah, I think yeah, I think it, it was, they were kind of banking on the kids <laughs> wanting to be astronauts. Yes. Yeah. Fred Ladd would later adapt another of Tezuka's projects, Kimba the White Lion. Some believe the anime was the unofficial inspiration for the Lion King. Kimba, Simba. Yeah. You get it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Even though Simba just means lion. Just means lion. lion. <laughs> but it's fine. Still, you know. you know. A year after Astro Boy premiered in the US, Ladd also brought the series Gigantor. Gigantor oh. was pretty influential. Mm-hmm. We all, we you you hear the name Gigantor and you recognize it. Yeah. yeah. And the Iron Giant paid tribute to Gigantor. Mm-hmm. Ah, yes. Mm-hmm. The series was the first Japanese show to be aired in the United States. The show would be rebooted in the 1980s and in 2003. America and China collaborated on a CGI reboot film of the series in 2009. While it received mixed reviews, many fans found it to be a good adaptation of the manga and series. Yeah, I want to watch this because a lot of fans say (laughs) that it's actually a very good adaptation. Interesting. Yeah, I never never would have thought. Yeah, but I I started watching it the other night. Oh, did you? I did, and I was kind of liking it. And when I looked at the original character designs... I was like, they didn't do a bad job. You know, they just kind of translated it into a more modern and CGI look, but they kept the general character design. Like if a character had a big nose, they kept that big nose. If the character had a certain hairstyle, they kept that. Like the characters looked basically the same or relatively the same. Yeah. That's cool. Mm -hmm. And I the the thing I, I was thinking about too is the fact that you know, the manga, from what I understand, was much more grown up uh, right. than the show. And mm-hmm. I wonder if the movie has a little bit more of some of those themes in it. Maybe. But from my understanding in the manga, it was kind of like they talked about technology, the dangers of relying too much yes. on technology. People were killed. People died. Like, it yeah. was a little more serious. Yeah. You know, it's funny, though, that you bring up the aesthetic of the movie because- Anime in CG mm-hmm. is something that studios right now struggle with. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, they did it. Yeah. 
they sh- this is how you do, do just <laughs> how you, do. you did it already yeah <laughs> like do more of that yeah that's that's weird i i didn't realize because i had never really watched astro boy before mm-hmm. it's pretty dark how it begins yeah um, how astro boy becomes astro boy i know it's slightly different in the manga ver- like i think it's a car accident in mm-hmm. the original mm-hmm. and in this yes. reboot they in well in the original what happens is that he was built by a man who was mourning his son who died in a car accident yes yes and so then in this new version it's it's still the father mourning his son but it was a different accident than a car mm. accident oh okay yes interesting all right, so we ready for the next one, guys, Let's in the 1960s? Da, 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 speed Racer! Yay! <laughs> Astro Boy may have introduced American audiences to anime, but the black and white show eventually fell to the wayside as more and more viewers started buying color televisions. Wow, that's some newfangled technology yeah. right there. I've never what? seen color in my life. <laughs> <laughs> A few years later, in 1967, the anime Speed Racer became well-known to American audiences and would be shown on television for decades to come. Decades. Literally. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So long. They showed it when we were kids. Yeah, it was still on, like, Boomerang or something like that. It was on Cartoon Network. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Speed Racer began as a manga series called Mach Go 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 by Tatsuo Yoshida. The syndication rights were acquired by Translux, an electronics manufacturer of all things. That's so weird. Why would they do it? <laughs> the renamed Speed Racer premiered on American television in the summer of 1967. In the series, the main character's full name was Go Mifune, in homage to Japanese film star Toshiro Mifune. His name, Americanized, became Speed Racer. His adventures centered on the powerful Mach 5 car, his girlfriend Trixie, his little brother Sprittle, Sprittle's pet chimpanzee, Chim Chim, <laughs> and the mysterious Racer X. <laughs> Dude, the, the addition of Chim Chim always makes me laugh. Chim Chim and Chim Chim and Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can't forget about Chim Chim. No. I know. What a strange show this one is. It's, yes. It's <laughs> so embedded in the 60s, it feels like. Yeah. Even the English dub version is like yeah. so old feeling, but oh, it's yeah. like charming <laughs> it in is. its own way. Yeah. For American audiences, major editing was undertaken by producer Peter Fernandez who not only wrote and directed the English-language version, but also provided the voices of many of the characters, such as Racer X and Speed Racer himself. Fernandez was also responsible for rearranging the melody and lyrics of the show's theme, originally written and composed by Nobayoshi Koshibe. The song that you wrote is great. Yeah, it's <laughs> yes. a great song. It's so good. I love the melody, and they kept it, for the most part, for mm-hmm. the American version, if you go Aww. back and listen to the the original Japanese version, it's very similar, and I it gets it's such an earworm. Yeah. It'll get in your head and stay there, man. <laughs> These changes were meant to make the show more palatable for American audiences, but in some cases hurt the show stylistically. 
For example, the unmatched dubbing and frequent cuts make the show laughable to some audience members. <laughs> <laughs> to some people, Oops. when they think of anime, this is what they think of, and that's why they're like, I don't like it. Yeah. Because yeah. They, they can't follow it. It's hard mm -hmm. to, you know, mm -hmm. it, I'm yeah. distracted by the fact the words don't match the mouths. Yeah, yeah that's a big one, is yeah. the, the mouth flaps. I mean, they've mm -hmm. gotten much better at it, but back then. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Speed Racer was also adapted into a film, and it was just announced that it will be getting a brand new live action series on Apple. It uh, is by J.J. Abrams, what? of all people. You know what? Really? Okay. <laughs> he must love anime. He must. He must. Yeah. Hopefully it doesn't go down the same way as Cowboy Bebop on Netflix. Oh, oh boy. But- I think people are gonna stop thinking that this is coincidence that this yeah. keeps happening to us. Yeah, that like things are. Yeah, we we were just going to do a speed racer episode. Yep. Mm -hmm. And I found this today that two <laughs> days ago, JJ oh Abrams announced gosh. that there was going to be a live action speed racer show. Wow. Yeah, we had thought about doing the speed racer like shoot like a week and a half ago yeah, or it was more. A, yeah it was a little while ago and it doesn't i don't know how this happens it it happens all the time though God, it, we promise it's <laughs> we just, coincidence yeah. it every time it's completely coincidental <laughs> well, oh i mean we're just too cutting edge uh yeah for our own good like damn <laughs> but yeah that's ridiculous uh i'm excited to see it i yeah. love racing i love the mock fight it'll is be so good really it'll cool. be good yes. i'm looking forward to it it's However, gonna have that cool style yeah, yes i However, I hope they don't go as weird as <laughs> the, the movie. The movie, the movie did. It was, oh. yeah. Uh, I'd rather watch the show. So. <laughs> yeah, honestly. Yeah, but we'll see how this one does. Yeah. Are you guys ready to fast forward ten years real quick to the nineteen seventies? Yeah, let's do it. We're gonna start with a show called Battle of the Planets. Wow! Whoa! That sounds cool. It does. Yeah, it does. In the 1970s, American interest in Japanese animation increased with even more vibrant series. Many of these shows were themed in outer space, which allowed them to capitalize on the Star Wars craze that was sweeping the nation. One such show was Battle of the Planets. Heck yeah. Ooh. Yeah, people were on board with space. Yes. Yeah. Space was a huge thing in the 60s. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then in the late 1970s, Star Wars came out and... I mean, solidified sci-fi. Yeah. <laughs> sci-fi, yes. Because in the 60s, they were all about like... Uh, you know, kind yeah. of realistic space stuff, yeah. Rocket right? ships and yeah, mm -hmm. like, our solar system. Yeah, mm -hmm. but now they were like... Aliens. <laughs> exactly. Battle of the Planets is the American adaptation of the Japanese anime series Science Ninja Team Gotcha Man. Better name. That's a better uh, name. Yeah. Yes, which originally aired in 1972. <laughs> Produced by Sandy Frank Entertainment, the American version of the show premiered in September of 1978. The show is known for its opening, which features a narrator reminiscent of 1960s science fiction. Very reminiscent Ooh. of Star Trek. Yes. It's the, the opening sounds like space. Yeah. <laughs> the final frontier. Yeah, you may know? as well. Oh, nice. Yeah, mm -hmm. it, it is like that. Just like Speed Racer, the American version of the show had to avoid showing graphic violence and other adult themes. Despite this, the show stayed faithful to the original story and characters. It was the most successful anime series to air in the U.S. during the 1970s. It's hard to chop out a bunch of stuff and 
yeah. still remain faithful. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, it's it's interesting, like how much influence on the characters did these moments have? Yeah, right? yeah. If they were able to keep the characters pretty much the same. Yeah, I feel like cutting out violence. You and just adult, lost a bunch of context. Yeah, yeah, maybe. The show followed a team of five orphans who were trained from birth to battle the forces of evil from other planets. This is a pretty great concept. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's pretty cool. Yeah, that sounds fun. The show was groundbreaking in the sense that it featured a lead female character that was also an engineer. Yeah. Uh, her name was, she was the princess of the group. Yeah. She was, yeah. She was royalty of some kind. Mm-hmm. They referred to her as a princess, but she was also an engineer. Yeah, she was incredibly hey. smart. Yeah. And actually, this also reminds me, I love how each of the characters kind of have a, like a slight bird theme to them. Yes. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And she's like a swan, I think. Yeah. And it's, it, it's, it's pretty great. For some, the show also introduced the concept of gender fluidity with one of its characters, Zoltar. Yeah, so apparently Zoltar is the villain that's of the a, show. That's a name that I recognize. Oh, yeah. yeah. Zoltar. So, Zoltar is the villain, and there's an episode where Zoltar introduces his sister. And apparently, and this is what they, you know, in the American version, they made it so that his sister is a different person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But in the Japanese version, his sister is him, just dressed just, up as a woman. Uh-huh. As, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, wow. yeah. And so, like, we talked about this before. The concept of flu- gender fluidity in anime, has, it's just, like, been there. Yeah. It's just, like, a thing. Yeah. It's a thing. But th- this is something that was not This was a massive no-no in the U.S. Yeah. at this <laughs> yeah. time. Yeah. So that's from my understanding. That's where that comes from. That's really interesting. That that changes the whole outlook of this character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In 1986, Gotcherman was reworked again in the U.S. as G Force Guardians of Space, which is another pretty great name. Yeah. <laughs> by Turner Broadcasting, with a good deal of original content that was edited out of Battle of the Planets, put back in. It followed the plot of the original series much more faithfully than Battle of the Planets because of this. Nice. Okay. Although Hoyt Curtin's original score was missing along with new voice acting. This version, however, was criticized by fans of both Gotchaman and Battle of the Planets and never achieved the same level of popularity. Oh, interesting. It is interesting because even if it is better... Or, you know, supposedly better. It has the original content. Yeah. If you were a huge fan of what you saw before, I mean, it might be hard to accept the new one, even if it is technically more correct. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You've seen that. It happens all the time in anime when it's like Full Metal Alchemist, for example, is Mm -hmm. a popular one where it was being made alongside the manga and then passed it, right? The manga was like... You know, it takes a while to make, and the show yeah. is just being produced, and it went past, and they had to come up with their own stuff. And then technically, Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood it was made later, and it's mm-hmm. the same thing, but closer to the manga. But there are fans of the original show who still like that more. Yeah. yeah. So I totally understand why it may not still hit the same level as the original, even if it was not really edited. It sounds like it would be kind of a different show with a bit of a different mm-hmm. tone. Yeah. And you know... I know this is off topic. It's not uh, included in this or anything, but you know, talking about Zoltar and Western animation, mm-hmm. it kind of reminds me of the Powerpuff Girls. Yeah, yeah. Because the Powerpuff yeah. Girls had a lot of anime influences in it. 
for yes, sure. Yes. Yeah. Do you remember the villain in the Powerpuff Girls yes. that was absolutely androgynous yes. and oh. very much fluid mm-hmm. for sure? I don't okay. remember their name. He was he was called him. Him, that's right. Oh. But but it was totally not like they called him him. Yeah. I keep saying they called him him. Yeah. <laughs> they called them him, mm-hmm. but it was never explicitly, explicitly. stated and he and huh. they were very Yeah. I don't know you, how to exactly. explain it. It's uh gender bent clothing. Yeah. Yeah. The more voice. lipstick. Yes. A higher pitched S- voice, very high pitched like kind of sensual type voice, yeah, I would yeah. say. The name Zoltar, for some reason, it reminds me of Buzz Lightyear's nemesis. Yeah, I thought about that too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Zerg? Zerg. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and also um, Zoltar, the fortune teller from, from Big. Yes. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> of course. The, that's what that reminds me of. <laughs> All right, next one here we have is called Star Blazers. That sounds fantastic. I mean, you can just feel the Star Wars influence. Yeah. Star Blazers is an American series adaptation of the Japanese series Space Battleship Yamato from 1974. Star Blazers was first broadcast in the United States in 1979 and was the first popular English translated anime that had an overarching plot that required the episodes to be viewed in order. Ooh, it was a serial. Yes. This paved the way for future plot-driven anime translations. It also dealt with somewhat more mature themes than other shows aimed at the same target audience. The show followed a crew as they traveled to a distant planet to save Earth from an alien attack. Nice. Pretty classic Pretty sci-fi standard. there. Yes. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> In 1977, before the debut of Star Blazers, the Japanese film Star Cruiser Yamato, as it was known at the time, was dubbed into English and retitled Space Cruiser. This film was released in several countries, but the American release was extremely limited and eventually ended up airing on television in the Los Angeles area in 1978. So technically, the beginning of Star Blazers, but kind of flew under the radar because it went under a different name. Right, and Uh. only if you lived in Los Angeles in 1978 did you watch it. An extremely... Very localized. Very localized. I wonder if you can even find it now. Because of this, the Westchester Corporation saw the potential in Space Battleship Yamato as a children's property, despite its mature content. They bought the rights to the first two seasons. Griffin McCall Advertising completed the dubbing and editing, while production and syndication were handled by Claster Television. The American studios removed and replaced the Japanese language elements, such as the series titles and scene captions. The series premiered in the San Francisco Bay Area on September 17, 1979, as part of the weekday show Captain Cosmic on KTVU2. Star Blazers' initial broadcast received high ratings, with many people crediting the show as sparking their love of anime. Aww. How amazing. It only premiered in that spot, in that I area, know. and where you're talking about it, here in Ohio. Crazy, yeah. All right? these years later. So it was obviously a very influential show. Yes, mm-hmm. definitely. It finally gave people like that overarching plot, yep. right? Because even if you were already into sci-fi stuff, you love Star Wars, you love yeah. Battle for the Planets even, yeah. That kind of stuff. This finally like took it seriously. Took itself yeah. a little seriously. Yeah. Didn't, you know, gave its audience the benefit of the doubt and was like, you guys 
will be able to follow this. Here yeah. we go. We're going to do it for real. Yeah. And that's that's got to feel really nice to actually have something to watch like that, right? Yeah. yeah. It, it's such a big deal when it, when it becomes a serial cartoon and then you kind of have to catch it on TV. Yeah, you yeah. Because this is the 70s. You have to catch it. You can't. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's like the difference between SpongeBob and Avatar for me. Like I was obsessed with SpongeBob. Loved SpongeBob. Mm-hmm. Avatar yeah. premiered, and I was like, "Right, but my butt has to be in the seat." Yeah, Friday nights at eight yes. o'clock yes. <laughs> because I have to watch the show. Yeah, you know, yep. and so yeah. it was a do- totally different kind. And of- you know, there's something as much of a pain that might be to others who want to watch TV or to like <laughs> yeah. if you're out of town that weekend <laughs> yeah. or something. It could be a pain, but at the same time, it's got to be kind of fun. It is fun. Yeah. It is fun. It's you know fun. what I mean? It's so nice to have something to look forward to like that. Yeah. I, I kind of like that some streaming services are capturing that again mm-hmm. a little bit. I mean, sure, you don't have to catch it at an exact time. Yeah. But yeah. you do have to wait the week. And yeah. that's yeah. still kind of nice. And it's exciting. Yeah. You yeah. know, it's exciting. You know, it's like, oh, a new episode of my favorite show. Yes. When mm-hmm. I get off work, I can go home. Right, right. And watch it. And you have yeah. that week to speculate with other fans. And yes. you're just yes. talking about the yeah. Guess episode. where the show is going. Oh, man. And finally, here in 1979 with, with Star Blazers, they have that in anime form. And that's awesome. Yeah. Yes. So now we're going to go into the 1980s. Oh, right. Now this decade is interesting. (laughs) This is an interesting one. So the first one we're going to talk about is Voltron, Defender of the Universe Uh from 1984. Everyone knows that name. This is one. Yeah, yeah, this is one that maybe you didn't know was anime because (sighs) this was a pretty popular show. Yeah, gotcha. While many of us in the U.S. have heard of shows like Astro Boy and may have seen Speed Racer, Anime only started to become mainstream in America in the 1980s. The 1980s would later be known as the golden age of anime because this was an era when the fandoms began to grow. The invention of high-quality VHS tapes allowed more content to spread from Japan to other countries, making the art more accessible. When we think of 1980s anime, one TV show tends to stand out among the others. That show is Voltron, Defender of the Universe. One of the ways that I judge popularity of media franchises is if there are Lego sets of them. Ah, and they made a Voltron Lego set, so okay. that's a big so deal. Yeah, <laughs> gotta be. Yeah, that, yeah. While some consider Robotech to be the biggest and most influential anime show of the decade, Voltron was aimed at younger audiences and essentially paved the way for other mecha shows, notably Power Rangers. Yes. Ooh. Adam loves mecha. I do, and I'm sad that I'm alone. <laughs> no, 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 no. I like okay. it too. I'm just yeah. kidding. It's I, I, it's, it's enjoyable. I mean, I hope to one day appreciate it with the same enthusiasm <laughs> that you do. It's, it's a joke that I, that other mecha fans. It's like an internal mecha fan joke where it's like we're just happy to find other people who still watch it. <laughs> <laughs> For those of you who may not be familiar with what a mecha show is, it's pretty simple, but it's a giant robot is involved yeah. in some form. Mm-hmm. There are there are <laughs> two ways to look at it. You've got super robots and real robots, right? Mm-hmm. A super robot is going to be Gigantor, yeah. right? That we uh, mentioned. It's a, just an autonomous thing that is super powerful and probably fights other powerful giant things, whatever, mm-hmm. right? Whereas real robots, quote unquote, is something more like Mobile Suit Gundam or Voltron. Well, actually, oh, Voltron's a weird one. 
Yeah, I'll get Voltron's back. a little strange. Let me let me let me circle back on Voltron. Yeah. But real robots are going to be more grounded. Mm. Usually there's war involved. They have a pilot, that kind of thing, mm-hmm. right? But Voltron's a weird one because it's defenders of the universe. It's very mm-hmm. space heavy. But Voltron still has pilots. There may be five of them. And then when they're combined, Voltron is very powerful, super powerful. So Voltron rides that line between yeah. super robot and real robot that that uh, fits under mecha, right? But there are so many mecha shows that people, or, or movies even, that uh, people probably know of. Like Pacific Rim, for example, was mm-hmm. an homage to mecha anime, right? And like I said, Mobile Suit Gundam's a very popular one, still going today very strongly. That's All right. that's the yeah. gist. Cool. Okay. Okay. This show was actually adapted from two different anime shows, Beast King Go Lion and Armored Fleet Derriger XV. It's another one of these things. Yes, where just... it's a conglomerate yeah. show. Yeah. Yep. It's a con- it's a conglomerate. It's almost like the show that we have that's Voltron isn't really you know, it's it's to- almost like a totally different show. Yeah, exactly. This was reportedly due to the fact that the U.S. shows needed 65 episodes for syndication, and Japanese shows are typically 52 episodes. So they combined the shows to fill in the gap. World Event Productions was the studio responsible for bringing Voltron to the U.S. They reportedly approached Toei Animation, the original creators of the show, for the rights to a completely different anime. But they got the rights to two shows that would become Voltron because of translation issues. Oh, huh. no. <laughs> <laughs> when the show premiered in 1984, many audience members didn't realize that the show was recycled content. The show's opening featured the voice of Peter Colin, who famously voiced Optimus Prime from Transformers. Yes. Making the show obviously exciting from the, from the get-go. Yeah. yeah. The show follows a group of ordinary humans that battle the evil Emperor Zarkon by piloting mechanized lions that come together to form Voltron. Yes. So we're talking about Zerg, uh, Emperor yeah. Zerg, Emperor Zarkon. Zarkon. Yeah. Man. Oh, my gosh. Zs, man. See, all Z- the evil it's ones evil, are Zs. Yeah. Yeah. Zs. <laughs> the show was incredibly popular in its initial run and drove massive toy sales. But the second version of the show left audiences unimpressed. Suddenly, Voltron was made up of various forms of transportation instead of giant lions, and there was an all-new cast of characters. The show lost its following. But in the decades since, there have been several adaptations of the show, and its influence reached a lot of other robot-centric animation. Yes, the new Netflix version is very popular. I've watched some of it. I haven't gotten through all of it, but it's pretty good. All right, next here we have Robotech. Yeah, so if you aren't familiar with Voltron... Robotech was, I guess, even more popular at the time. Yes. But Voltron, I think, has just had more staying power. Yes. Mm -hmm. When you have one robot that you can, like, put up on a pedestal as your character, like Optimus Prime, for example, it's easier. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But Robotech didn't really have that. But at the time, hugely popular. This show is a strange beast. It is a science fiction show with 85 episodes produced by Harmony Gold USA in association with Tatsunoko Productions. What makes it so weird is that it was adapted from three original and distinct Japanese shows. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. I just can't believe it. It's, it's so, getting worse. It's so <laughs> hard. Like, how do you do that? Yes. Super Dimension Fortress Macross. Super Dimension Calvary Southern Cross. 
and Genesis Climber Mospiata, I think is how you say those names. <laughs> okay. Goodness gracious. Yeah. They were all used to create what became Robotech. Harmony Gold's reasoning for combining these unrelated series was its decision to market Macross for American weekday syndication TV. And as Robin said, this required the show to have a minimum of 65 episodes, which would be five episodes per week for 13 weeks. All three of the used shows had fewer than the requirement since they aired in Japan as weekly series. This combination resulted in a story that would span across three generations as mankind would fight in three Robotech Wars. <laughs> wow. Whew. Yeah, very interesting way to do it. The first generation is kind of like more the tech that we imagine. Yeah. In the opening, you'll see like very Top Gunny feeling like mm. like airplanes taking yeah. off and like, oh, what a cool ace pilot that guy is, yeah. right? <laughs> but then the next generation, the tech gets a little bit more advanced. And then the generation after that, it gets even more advanced yeah. again. So they, <laughs> they made it work somehow. <laughs> Robotech is often a polarizing subject among anime fans. Some look down on the show for its extensive edits to the source material, such as westernizing character names and forging a connection between previously unrelated series. While supporters of the adaptation have pointed out that the weaving of these three series into a congruent whole required the reworking, and that it helped to maintain a slow but continuous rise of anime in the U.S. Yeah, it's like at this point, they feel like they can't have anime in the U.S. in its true form. So right. they have mm -hmm. to modify it and make it all different and weird so that we'll digest it, you know? Yeah, it's <laughs> such a strange attitude that, yeah. that looking back seems so like, why? You know, yeah. yeah. Looking at current anime and how it's very much its true form yeah. when it comes here. I mean, we get it just subtitled right away. Yeah. And and nothing else. And it's it's so strange to yeah. think that it was any different. It's so interesting and it makes you realize why Hayao Miyazaki was so adamant that they yeah, not cut yeah. Princess Mononoke. Yeah. Because it's like, dude, you've been doing this for generations. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I don't trust you. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, what a different movie Princess Mononoke would have been. It probably wouldn't yeah. have been nearly as popular. Mm -hmm. yeah. It would have been nope. very, very different. Now, Robotech is one that I haven't seen. And as a Mecha fan, I feel like <laughs> I really must. Because it was such a big thing in the 80s. It made so much yeah. happen. It, you know, so influential. I got to give it a shot. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So now we're going to talk about the best decade that there ever was. Yes, oh, absolutely. <laughs> the 2020, what? The what? 1990s. <laughs> the one that we all miss desperately, obviously. Yes. Oh, boy. Many of the shows we've mentioned so far were given new names and were edited drastically when broadcast in America. Some even were conglomerates of multiple Japanese shows. But in the 90s, however, many shows would come to the U.S. much closer to their original form aside from being dubbed in English. Some censorship still happened, but for the most part, shows were no longer being heavily reworked or reinterpreted for American audiences. At this point, American audiences have been exposed to Japanese animation for 30 years, and this is when the art truly becomes mainstream. Yeah, baby. Man. Sailor Moon from 1992. Wow. That's a name everybody probably recognizes. Oh, oh yeah. 1,000. 
1991, Naoko Takeuchi published her manga about Usagi Tsukino, a middle school student who transforms into Sailor Moon, the Moon Princess, and commander of the Sailor Senshi, the leading female protagonists of Sailor Moon. With her team, the Sailor Scouts, she fights both supernatural challenges and average middle school issues. <laughs> oh, so good. And her powers don't really work on her everyday problems. Uh, right. And I, I love how this show, un- actually unlike a lot of the shows we've talked about, has that like real element. Yeah. You know what I mean? It has that yes. day-to-day stuff that that mm-hmm. slice of life yeah everything that we've talked about up to this point in anime is escapism mm-hmm. it's very escapist yeah different worlds different planets sci-fi fantasy you know and is sailor moon not fantasy sci-fi of course it is you know <laughs> but it also has a real world element to it mm-hmm. it's very grounded in japan it's a lot more like your name, for mm-hmm. example, yeah. where there are real problems, real things going on. Yeah. There just also happens to be some magic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the manga took off, and by 1992, it was picked up as an anime called Pretty Soldier Sailor Moon in Japan. It was produced by Toei Animation and followed the manga closely, especially throughout the first season. Takeuchi used her personal experiences to inspire some of the storylines in the manga. One of the most notable examples was a theme of bullying throughout the manga and the show. Takeuchi has said that she intentionally made Sailor Moon an average girl instead of someone who naturally has a lot of power because she wanted other bullied middle school girls to identify with her. That's super great. They, yeah. She could have easily made her yeah. like the popular girl or the student council president or any yeah. anything where she's got authority over students. But nope, she's just one of them. Yeah, just a normal, <laughs> normal that's super, kid. That's awesome. Perfect. Yeah, and somebody who can get bullied and it's like your kid at home yeah. and you're like, well, okay, if it could happen to Sailor Moon, it could happen to anybody. So right. I guess yeah. maybe there's nothing wrong with me. Yeah. You know. Right, right. Aw. Sailor Moon was incredibly inspirational to young girls around the world, and the characters are considered to be feminist icons. The concept of an entirely female team of powerful warriors was fairly new in media in general. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Just the idea itself is just a big surprise. (laughs) Sailor Moon was also influential for its realistic depiction of Japan. Although the animation was not photorealistic, many famous Japanese landmarks and locations appeared in the show, grounding it in the real world and possibly starting the trend of fan pilgrimages to locations in anime. Hey, love that. Oh, yes. Sailor Moon remains to have a major following. The show ran in Japan for five years from 1992 to 1997 and had three full-length feature films as well as five short films. Although the U.S. adaptation was closer to the original anime than previous shows, there were some significant changes. Some episodes were left out of the English dub, and a couple of episodes were merged into one. The English dub also included a segment at the end called Sailor Says, which highlighted the moral of the story. (laughs) I mean... (laughs) Sounds incredibly unnecessary. That's what you do. Totally breaking the fourth wall. All of my immersion. Yeah. Gone. 
Yes, yes. So Adam was talking about how funny this show is. Yeah, it's surprisingly funny because the characters are so likable. Oh. All of the sailors are, really. <laughs> I mean, Sailor Scouts, adorable. Yeah. So cute. <laughs> they're, they're awesome. And they, they may run into trouble, realistic trouble mm-hmm. at school or mm-hmm. things like that. But they're super great to each other and yeah. to others and Aww. they don't let it they don't let it affect them and when they become their super selves they're so <laughs> on top of things you yeah. know what i mean it's so enjoyable Aww. to see them do their thing so well and yet they find time for little jokes and and you know some some physical humor here and there yeah in tuxedo mask this mm. ridiculous mystery character <laughs> <laughs> who's just like, haha, I've done it. The thing is done. It's like, you didn't even d- do anything. <laughs> and they point that out. He's like, you didn't help at all. Where are you going? All right, he's gone. <laughs> so it, it's a very silly show, but yeah. it still holds itself up really high. And I really like that. Yeah. It, I mean, just, you know, having the depiction of the powerful women, but also they get along. They're yes, friends. Exactly. Yes. You know, yes. that's it already beats a lot of tropes. <laughs> yeah. You know, they have very distinct personalities, yep. but it's not they don't really clash that much. I mean, every mm-hmm. once in a while one of them's gonna be grumpy about yeah. something yeah. or As annoyed yeah. or whatever. And yeah. and a lot of times that kind of stuff will be part of the day to day, the mm-hmm. slice of life elements yeah. of the show, right? Yeah. They're having these issues, but then something else happens. Like, say they're arguing about something, mm-hmm. yeah, right? It doesn't matter what it is. But then a worse thing happens, and they're like, sailor up, or yes. what? I don't know what they say. <laughs> I honestly don't remember. They, like, they, you know, they transform. Yeah. They get into their super selves, and they're like, teamwork is more important. Yeah. Yeah. We're still friends. It doesn't matter what we were arguing about. And that's great. All right. Next for the 90s, we got Ghost in the Shell. All right. I believe this is the- The only movie on our list. Yeah. 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 So in 1989, Masamune Shiro wrote and illustrated a Japanese manga called Ghost in the Shell about a female cybernetic agent. The manga inspired Mamoru Oshii to create the 1995 animated film that would become popular, not only in America, but internationally as well. The film was dubbed and released in America on March 29, 1996. This is a fantastic movie. If you are into anime at all, it's there's a high chance that you've seen it already, but if you haven't, definitely go watch it because the influence yeah. that this has had on sci-fi, specifically like kind of the grungy, yeah, cyberpunky yeah. style of sci-fi. So much of it can be attributed to Ghost in the Shell. It really, yeah, so cool. Yeah, it really reminds me of that. I love the, it's it's got. I love the cyberpunk stuff. Yeah, yeah. you know, and like the humanoid robots and Mm -hmm. yeah, through Blade Runner. Yeah, it reminds me a lot of Blade Runner. Yeah, yes. In an article by Peter Suderman from Fox, it was expressed that director Mamoru Oshii wanted a movie that portrayed the influence and power of computers by looking at how that influence and power might evolve over time. And the film posits a near future in which humans have begun to merge with machines. Yay! Yay. That sounds like... Yeah. Scary? Yeah. Yeah. Just a bit. 
Oh, bother. (laughs) (laughs) The film showed the art form in a different way that brought attention to the details. The blending of elaborate art, highly detailed science fiction, and adult themes and graphics. The film was even not rated. Yikes. Uh Uh-oh. Very adult. Dude. Yeah. Absolutely. (laughs) And when we talk about 80s style animation, Mm -hmm. specifically anime, I mean, definitely American animation as well, but the first kind of image I I picture is the style of Ghost in the Shell. Like, other shows were very similar- and other movies were very similar, mm-hmm. but like this art style just screams 80s to me. And, it, yeah. and I, I love it. <laughs> yeah. Some people may not like watching older shows or older movies just because it's harder to get into when, yeah. it, when the style is not what you're used to if you watch new stuff. But something about this mm-hmm. yeah. is just cool. I even like the name Ghost. Yeah, it is cool. Yeah, and I I was reading that Ghost kind of refers to the consciousness you're thinking, and then the shell is the animatronic body. body. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. and that's so cool. Just the the idea of yeah, just her 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 consciousness, her soul powering this completely cyber body, and that's yeah, it is so cool. The film's influence was so great that a film like The Matrix was inspired by it. Yes, The Matrix is another great cyber sci-fi thing. You yeah. Know? yeah. And a lot of those movies. It was a huge, yeah. I mean, it's one of the highest grossing movies of the decade. <laughs> right. Yeah. There was that live action version of Ghost in the Shell, which, you know, just passed. <laughs> but, but there are other smaller projects related to Ghost in the Shell. I believe one of them is on Netflix. Don't quote me on that, but I think it is. Yeah. And they're all really cool. The last one we're going to talk about here for the 1990s is one that many a young schoolboy has probably (laughs) watched because I was friends with quite a few of them. Dragon Ball Z. Oh, man. Uh-huh. I don't think I've ever heard of this one. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Dude, who hasn't? <laughs> this is technically the second show in the long Dragon Ball franchise. However, it was the series that landed the mainstream audience in America. The show was everywhere. Easily. Yeah. Yes. yeah. The series aired in Japan on Fuji TV and was later dubbed for broadcast in at least 81 countries worldwide. In 1996, Funimation Productions licensed Dragon Ball Z for the release in North America, after canceling their initial dub of the original Dragon Ball halfway through the first season. Funimation's 1996 release was not the first broadcast in the United States, however, as some networks had already aired subtitled versions of the series in other languages. All right, cool. Yeah, that's pretty cool. The initial English dub of Dragon Ball Z had mandated cuts to content and length, which reduced the first 67 episodes to 53. Most of the edits were done to tone down the dramatic parts and create a more kid-friendly feeling. Most notably, having references to death sidestepped with phrases like, sent to the next dimension. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Really? 
gosh. So, you know, we say that the 90s is getting better at it. Yeah. yeah they didn't change yeah. the name. They didn't combine no. three different shows to make this. <laughs> yeah. But it premiered in the United States in September of 1996 in first-run syndication, but halted production in 1998 after two seasons despite strong ratings. This was due to the scaling down of syndication operations in order to focus on producing original material for the Fox Kids Network. Reruns of the show would continue on Cartoon Network's Toonami, and they would be the ones to eventually order more episodes from Funimation. They would continue with new voices and a new score. In 2005, Funimation began to redub episodes 1 through 67 with their in-house voice cast including content originally cut. However, this is not the same version as Dragon Ball Z Kai, which would come out later in 2009. That might be one that more people are familiar with. This is some weird little (laughs) in-between. If you watch the original, quote-unquote, original Dragon Ball Z, the first English dub, you're Uh going to get this re-recorded version from Funimation, most Mm. likely. If you seek out specifically Dragon Ball Z Kai, then you're going to get the basically reimagined version of the original show, which Hmm. was the Japanese side doing that. They're like, we want to reinterpret our own show. Yeah. Nice. It's pretty cool. Yes. (laughs) But of course, Dragon Ball Z, huge, again, influence. All three of these shows, or sorry, these two shows and movie (laughs) had a very huge influence on anime in america by like by far at least for our generation some of the biggest ones Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) and it was always one of my favorite running jokes because i was never that big into dragon ball z but i i knew what it was i knew characters like i got it but one of the best running jokes that you could joke about outside of the show is how you just use up an entire episode of like charging up your power, right? <laughs> you're just like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go Super Saiyan, and you're just like, ah! but you do that for three episodes <laughs> because they keep cutting away to something else, else. Oh, you know. Man. And it's just, it's hilarious. It's a meme at this point, but, but that doesn't take away from the fact that the show still holds up very well. Yeah, you can cut some of that filler if you want, but I mean, that's how shows worked back mm-hmm. in the day. They did have a lot of filler episodes. Yeah. And it's great. And a lot of people still love it. Up to and throughout the 90s, anime entered mainstream American media. Kids brought Sailor Moon lunchboxes to school. Speed Racer was airing on the fledgling Cartoon Network as late as the 90s. And by the time Power Rangers aired, many were comparing the new show to Voltron. Because this episode was about anime's introduction and influence in America, we're going to stop here in the 1990s for now. Throughout the 2000s and the 2010s, anime continued to enthrall audiences all over the world. Here are just a few of those shows that we wish we had time to talk about. Yeah. Yes. You guys were here the Ran whole episode. Out. You yeah. realize we can't talk about all these shows. Mm-hmm. It's a lot. We don't have time. <laughs> yes. We wish we did. Cowboy Bebop from 2001. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. Full Metal Alchemist from 2004. Naruto, 2005. Naruto Shippuden, 2009, Hunter x Hunter, 2011, Attack on Titan, 2013, My Hero Academia, 2016, Jujutsu Kaisen, 2020, and Horimiya, 2021. Yes. 
But Yay. yeah, and and beyond even this list, so many good shows out there that are going to influence anime in the United States and all over the world for years to come. Oh yeah. Japanese animation has had a far-reaching influence on animation across the globe, including in the United States. Anime is an art form filled with diverse styles, complex stories, and imaginative characters. We were happy to spend this month learning so much about Japanese anime, and we hope we have inspired anyone that hasn't had the pleasure to watch it to give it a try. Although this month anime may be over, we'll see you all June. <laughs> oh, yeah! Very nice. Yeah. And I guess that's another month closed. Yay! Woo! We did it! We did it! We we did did it. it. <laughs> you know, guys, we just want to let you know the first episode of June is going to be the second week of June. Yeah. Yes. We will be taking a week break because of some life events that are coming up. Yeah. My sister is getting married. <laughs> I am and the my... person yes. that she chose for the wedding, you know. You know, and the thing <laughs> yeah. that's happening. Yeah, yeah, I'm yep. the, yep. Uh, yeah. And so I'm busy. Yeah. <laughs> and my <laughs> brother is getting married, and I am a part of it, not the She's uh, not the one. person, but person, she's a but person. I'm a person, yeah. so. <laughs> yep. And I can't do the show without you guys. Exactly. So. No, because it would be four hours <laughs> yes. long, and it would be about would either be about robots or dinosaurs. dinosaurs. I feel we got attacked. You. Yeah. <laughs> but anyways, yeah, we'll be back on the 13th, Ooh. the second Monday. Before we go, we'd like to thank our patrons, Joel, John, Jacob, Jacqueline, J.D., Anthony, Shelly, Linda, Bob, and Jaren. Thank you so much. You're thank amazing. You. We really yep. appreciate you no guys. Idea. Really, you're so important to us. You can now buy us a popcorn at buymeacoffee.com slash Diary. And thank you all that support us, whether it be through listening, telling a friend, or donating. Yes, thank you so much. We hope you enjoyed <laughs> it. We hope you learned something. Yes, and, uh, go, go watch an anime. Yeah, go watch, go watch some anime. Yeah. And uh, we'll see you all in June. We have some big things coming up. Not big as in theoretical. We mean big like physically big. <laughs> large Fit, like things. Large, literally large things happening in June. Yes. <laughs> yes. Imagine they're so big that when they're running a mile away, your little water cup starts rippling. Ooh, yeah. spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> all right. <Ugh. laughs> see ya. Bye. Later.